0: Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Ellen Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice, but together they are the Definitive Rap.
1: I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Seabrow, and welcome to the Definitive Rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The Definitive Rap is proud to be the official podcast of VinNews.com. Over the last month, we saw America go from America first to Joey from Scranton's new normalcy, and what I like to call build back broke. Now that radical progressivism is the new soul of our nation, we've watched Democrats strip a fringe Republican freshman from her committee assignments, while Ilhan Omar got promoted to a cushy seat on the Foreign Relations Committee. We watched Democrats doctor videos to make it look like President Trump incited a mob, all the while ignoring four years of Democrats unequivocally calling on their followers To attack Trump supporters. We watched President Biden promise relaxed immigration for illegal aliens while demanding that we no longer refer to them as aliens. We no longer see CNN or the Washington Post fact checkers counting how many lies or misinformation the president tells. What we are now saying, and this is why I wanted to interview our distinguished guest, John Davidson from The Federalist, whom Bela will introduce shortly, to talk about his recent columns on what the H are Republicans and conservatives thinking by piling on Donald Trump, who, even with his personal shortcomings, was the most successful president we had in years. And what exactly does it mean when some Republicans like Adam Kinzinger say, we want to take the GOP back from Trumpism? What do they want to take back exactly? Bringing back American companies from overseas, nominating a record number of conservative judges, making it easier for pharmaceutical companies to get their drugs approved, making America energy independent, the list goes on. But what we need to decide is what kind of party do we Republicans want to be? And if we don't decide soon, are we prepared to live in a country that looks more like an Amerizuela than America? Bela?
2: Thank you, Alan. Nature is such that the past impendingly ends up shaping the future, And politics is no exception. Going back to the past, the Hoover-Coolidge Republicans hung quite enormously over for two generations of Democrats. And who can forget how Ronald Reagan built such a successful movement that even hardcore Democrats admired and respected him? And if people remember when Ronald Reagan implied that he fixed what was done wrong by Democrats using words, the sins of liberalism. What's happening now is extraordinary in the sense that Republicans have broken with Trump. Moreover, the concern is that all that was accomplished in the past four years for good will become undone. In fact, as our esteemed guest John Davidson will explain, that Trump left office in better shape than his previous uh, two predecessors left theirs. But the GOP is still at war with itself. Moreover, we are also in an era where if you say something that even just implies that you are a Trump supporter, you're axed. And I'm not even talking just about private people who do that, but the media. People get fired, they get thrown off their social media accounts for, quote-unquote, having the wrong views. What would our forefathers of the United States say to all this? I would like to welcome John Daniel Davidson, who is the political editor at The Federalist. His writing has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, National Review, Texas Monthly, The Guardian, First Things, the Claremont Review of Books, the LA Review of Books, and elsewhere. You can follow him on Twitter at John D. Davidson. John, welcome to The Definitive Wrap.
3: Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. In,
2: In an interview with Tucker Carlson, you said that the mainstream media throwing away its credibility is what's threatening democracy. And this is a concern. So let's start from the beginning so that our audience can understand why the media hates Trump. Also, in an article in The Federalist, you were quoted during a Fox Business interview, get ready for the love affair between Biden and the corrupt corporate media. We would want to hear about that and also how the media is, as you said, drooling about Kamala Harris's shoes, Joe Biden's love of ice cream, as opposed to the way Melania Trump was treated.
3: Yeah, Uh, the contrast between the coverage of Trump by the corporate press, and by the way, the use of the phrase corporate press is intentional. We used to have the phrase the mainstream media, but the the media, uh, the corporate media is not mainstream. The views that they they espouse and the kind of worldview that they um, put out there is not mainstream it's not mainstream for america it's it's uh, leftist it's uh, somewhat radical um and so we we use the term corporate press uh as as a better descriptor than mainstream press and the contrast is really striking in the way that trump was covered versus the way biden's already being covered and sure it was in you know the sort of fawning fluff pieces over kamala harris's shoes or joe biden's favorite flavor of ice cream but as we get into the Biden administration week by week and actual issues and actual policies start coming up, we're starting to see just the blatant hypocrisy and how the same kinds of stories were covered under Trump versus under Biden. One great example is this whole kids in cages thing at the border. The same facilities that uh, the Trump administration used to house unaccompanied minors, uh, which were decried as putting kids in cages, that AOC said was a human rights violation that Joe Biden. Uh, denounced as a human rights violation, this, the same exact facility has been opened recently under the Biden administration to take in an influx of teenagers coming across the border illegally from Mexico. But now it, they're they're holding facilities. Now they're sort of you know um, you know humane youth centers. They're not kids in cages anymore because uh, it's Biden and Democrats are good. The point is the corporate media exists at this point almost entirely to get Democrats elected and to push through sort of radical left-wing policy agenda items. That's why they exist. They don't exist to report the news or to analyze what's going on in America or even understand what's going on in America, which is why so many of them were blindsided by the election of Trump in 2016. They didn't see it coming. Um, They didn't see it coming because they had no idea what was going on in the country. And they had no idea that millions and millions of Americans were completely disillusioned with the political class and completely ready to throw in with a a political outsider who had never held political office before. That was unthinkable to the editors of the New York Times and the editors of Washington Post. It was unthinkable to Jeff Zucker at CNN and uh, and, and the people who run MSNBC uh, and the major networks. Um, But this is the story of the mainstream, uh, 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 there I go again, uh, the corporate media. Uh, They don't know what's going on, but they don't care to know what's going on because they have an agenda, they're ideologues, uh, and, and they burned their credibility to the ground. So when I say that Tucker Carlson, uh, when I told C- Tucker Carlson that this is threatening democracy, I, I said that because in order to have a, a functioning democracy and a, and a functioning open society, we need a healthy press. We need a, uh, a press that is interested in actually reporting the news and informing citizens so they can know what's going on, so they can participate in self government. But that is not what we have. And it's a sign that uh, our,
1: the republic is, is sick and is not doing well. Right. So, you know, John, just a, a few things. And I, I spoke about this, you know, for a while. And I always reminded my friends who were Trump supporters, but a little bit afraid to, to be open about it. And I, and I reminded them every single name that the media calls Trump, they called Reagan and every Republican before him, John McCain, Mitt Romney, all of them were called stupid Idiot, buffoon, incompetent, sexist, uh, whatever. Now, they didn't have homophobe and Islamophobe back then, but they had every other ism before that. But Trump was the first one to punch back. And that's why I think the media reacted so harshly. They were used to bullying and getting their ways. It's like any bully. They want to push you. But if you hit them back, then all of a sudden, you know, they take umbrage with it. And that is a major reason that, uh, you know, created such a, a collision course between the media and Trump because he just didn't give a blanking you know what. Um, but now it's also forward. a
3: major reason why people were attracted to Trump, because he right. fought back against what everyone knew is a corrupt media that was treating Republicans unfairly. He's right. the first Republican uh, that, that I can remember in my lifetime that actually stood up. And, and push back against the media, and people liked it.
1: Right. But uh, now what concerns me is, you know, I think that if you're an American, like I, I talk about Rush Limbaugh, he was unapologetic. You know, he, I mean, he was so many things, but one of them was he was unapologetic. And that's what people admired about him and what bothers me. You know, I don't believe that anybody ever has to swear a blood oath to any politician, any president. But at least look at the big picture. You may not like some of uh, Donald Trump's shortcomings. You know, he's a little bit thin-skinned. You know, a little bit. You know, a little bit too much on Twitter. But he did a great job as president. And what is it that Adam Kinzinger, as an example, what do they want to take back? They don't even know what Trumpism is. Um, his policies were fantastic. And if he had just toned things down ten percent, as Newt Gingrich once said. Donald Trump often says the right thing, but then goes about 10% too far. Had he just pulled back that 10%, I mean, he'd been the greatest thing since sliced bread. So these Republicans, I don't know if it's an insecurity issue. Uh, I don't know what Liz Cheney meant when she said yesterday at a press conference that we have to make it clear that we're not the party of white supremacy. Who said that we were? The media? They've been saying that for the last 30, 40 years. And I've never believed, I don't like calling Republicans rhinos. I don't believe in primary incumbents because every state has their own type of Republican. Uh, you know, Susan Collins, she's good for her state. She wouldn't work well in another, but for where she is, she's good. You know, she saved the Kavanaugh nomination. And so what concerns me is Republicans who are just weak Need No one says you've got to love Donald Trump or carry out a Trump poster in your bedroom. But for God's sake, understand the agenda of the enemy who want to tear him down. They want to tear you down, too. Does Mitt Romney think that the media is going to love him? They love him for now until he you know, would uh, run for president, and then they'll, they'll destroy him, too.
3: Yeah, the, the thing with Kinzinger and Liz Cheney uh, is part of this uh, shift and transformation that the GOP um, has been going through in recent years. Um, and, and it's, it's part of uh, uh, a real, uh, uh, I don't want to say it's a civil war because a civil war implies there's sort of two sides that are equally matched that are duking it out. And the, the, the corporate media wants to push this narrative that the GOP is in the midst of a civil war, but it's not, it's not the overwhelming majority of Republican voters of actual like voters and ordinary people Uh, who vote Republican, they like Trump, they still like Trump, even after he lost, even after all this, you know, nonsense with the the election being, you know, Trump's claims that the election was stolen, they still like him, and they still want him uh, by nearly 60% margin, according to one poll, to, to have a major role in the party moving forward. So there's not a civil war like between Republican voters. The, the, the conflict and the split is among Republican leaders in Washington, between the Liz Cheney's, the Adam Kinzinger's, the Mitch McConnell's, who liked the old way, who would like to go back to before 2016, when the Republicans could just sort of, you know, lose gracefully to uh, the Democrats. They could kind of cut deals. Uh, they could uh, they could get their you know, judicial appointments every now and then uh, they could kind of be a permanent minority party. They they were OK with that. And the reason they were OK with that is because they could serve the interests of the donor class by doing that. And those were the voters. Uh, those were the, the constituencies that they cared about. And those are still the constituencies they care about. They didn't really want. And, and this goes back decades. You know, this is a long story. This goes back to uh, Reagan. This goes back to the Bushes. Um the, the Republican Party establishment never really liked the conservative wing of the party, the you know, radically pro-life wing of the party, the Christian wing of the party. They were, they were fine with those people being in the coalition, and they were happy to pay lip service to the things that those people cared about. But when push came to shove, their priorities were corporate tax cuts. Uh, foreign inter- intervention uh, and, and, you know, getting a judge confirmed every now and then that's what they cared about. They didn't really care about the things that, that the, the vast majority of Republican voters actually cared about securing the border, uh, making sure a good American job, stay here in America, you know, that, that ran counter to the interests of the donor class, which wanted free trade and open borders. And so that, so they paid lip service to those things. And then they did the opposite once they were in office and this, you know, this happened for decades. And finally, Republican voters had enough and someone like Trump came along and was smart enough to see the dynamic and said, you know what? The Republican establishment is corrupt. They're lying to you. They hate you. And they'll never do what you want them to do. So elect me instead. And uh, and and voters responded to that. And so Mitch McConnell, and Liz Cheney, and Adam Kinzinger, and Mitt Romney, and all these other sort of establishment GOP people, they would like to... Uh, have things to return to the way they were before. And we can just pretend that this never happened, you know, but uh, they're too late. The, the, the ship has, has left the dock. The train's left the station. The GOP is transforming into a populist conservative party. So they can either get on board with that or they can quit the party. If it lives Cheney thinks the Republican party is, is, is racist. is a white supremacist party. Then the only ethical and moral thing for her to do would be to quit the party. But of course she's not going to do that. Because she doesn't right. really think the Republican Party is racist. She's just saying that uh, so she can be treated yeah. well by the media, which right. she still cares about for
2: some reason. Okay. Right. John, as it's all over the news, how the latest weather disaster of Texas exposed the corruption of the energy industry in what we know as oil rich Texas, can you tell us about that, please?
3: Yeah, there's hearings that are starting today. The state legislature here has started a series of hearings today to try to get to the bottom of how this happened and, and uh, how to prevent it from happening in the future. Uh, and the story is really complicated. The energy market and the way Texas energy grid works is really complex. Um, and so there's there's been a lot of debate about it and, and a lot of misinformation about it as well. I think the, the big takeaway, though, is that uh, our... Our energy makeup, all the different sources of, of energy uh, natural gas, coal, nuclear, and then wind and solar have, have the, that mix has been shifting over the past few decades. Uh, you, uh, you know, under Republican leadership, and there's been a greater emphasis on wind and solar. And we've built up all this wind and solar capacity out in West Texas. Uh, Meanwhile, we've been retiring coal-fired power plants, and we haven't been investing in like winterizing them uh, so that they don't fail in in, in, when these major winter storms come along. But what, what has happened? I I wrote a little bit about this and I've talked to a couple of uh, kind of energy policy experts about this, what happens when you when you shift, uh, you know, to more uh, renewable sources of energy as part of the mix of your energy grid, you're adding unreliable sources of energy. So the, the wind only generates energy when the wind turbines turn. Uh, so when the wind blows, or when they don't freeze, which they did. Uh, and solar only gives you energy when the sun shines, right? right? So nuclear and coal are like the base load, reliable sources of energy generation, and that's true of Texas, any other part of the country. And those are the sources um, not only that have been neglected and and are slowly being sort of retired, especially the coal fired power plants, but they haven't been you know properly. Uh, winterized we haven't invested in them the way that we should have uh, and, and i, I saw so i you know if, if republican leaders in texas want to do the right thing which they should have done a long time ago they will invest in re- reliable sources of energy so that when we have these big swings whether it's a winter storm or whether it's like a massive heat wave which we often have here we will have reliable sources of energy so i'm hopeful that that comes out in these hearings uh, and, you know, Governor Greg Abbott has indicated that he, you know, he wants to, you know, make it a priority to winterize these facilities, but it should have done, it should have happened a long time ago. And, and we should have paused, you know, before we decided to invest all this money in wind turbines and, and solar energy and not really consider how that would affect the reliability of the grid overall. Yeah.
1: John, I want to ask you, you wrote a couple of columns about election fraud, uh, Mitch McConnell not taking it seriously. So I'm going to tell you, personally, I kind of stopped watching the news after the elections because I kept seeing press conferences, uh, Dominion, this, you know, machine switched. And you know what? My feeling was, I know there was fraud because I was involved in a local school election with mail-in balloting. And I know, we we know for a fact that there was fraud. We know that, vo- that ballots went to people's homes who hadn't lived there in 20 years. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm wondering... Um, leaving aside whether machines have the ability or software to change votes, you know my belief was when the judges threw the cases out, either it was because they lacked standing or because they were just afraid of having their houses burned down. Because let's say that they said you're right, there was fraud. What were they going to do? Demand you know states have whole new elections again. So my contention is, is that the judges, they just played, they said, you know what, screw this. We can't overturn it. We can't prove anything. Um, there may have been fraud, but we got to suck it up. Um, and now, of course, Democrats see an opening that if they can have mail-in balloting moving on, they're never going to lose again.
3: Yeah, mail-in balloting is inherently insecure uh, as, you know, as a form of voting. It just is. Uh, there's a lot a lot of places along the line where things can go wrong and fraud can happen. Everyone knows this. It's been known for a long time. Even as you say, like even local, you see it in local elections uh, at at the school board or the city level. Um, And even more so when States, as they did this time around, just mail ballots to everyone on the vote on these voter rolls and the voter rolls haven't, haven't been kept up. There's tens of thousands of people on these rolls that don't live in the state anymore that aren't eligible to vote or maybe are dead or are in prison. So the time to fight this uh, this kind of thing was before the election, uh, when states, uh, election officials, and uh, judges and state supreme courts were overruling state legislatures and um, and in, even in some cases, state legislatures in response to lawsuits brought by left wing groups were passing uh, new rules. And changing the rules at the last minute to allow for mass mail-in voting, essentially what amounted to a unprecedented experiment in absentee balloting uh, for our presidential election. Um, that's that's where the problems were, and and the time to stop it was before the election. Because once the election happens, and once all these votes, all these ballots get mi- gets mixed together, it's very difficult to tease out. You know, uh, you have to th- you have to end up throwing out a lot of valid ballots, a lot, a lot along with the invalid ones. And so, you know, you mentioned these, these, these court cases and these judges that kind of just threw these cases out. I think in some cases they, they did, as you say, they just wanted to avoid the, the having to, you know, be blamed uh, for, for whatever ruling they would come to. Uh, in some cases it was they, they found a technicality to throw it out. But in almost no cases where it was the evidence actually looked at. That was that was compiled, especially in certain key states like Pennsylvania and Georgia, and some of these uh, Wisconsin and some of these other places, where you just had uh, absentee ballots that should not have been counted. They didn't. They didn't have addresses on them. They came in late. They they didn't uh, adhere to the rules, and they should have been thrown out. Um, and, and it's not a few ballots either, because as I mentioned, a lot of these states they just sent out ballots to every single registered voter. That's unheard of. It, it never happened before. They did it. They, they used the excuse of COVID to do it. And if, if that's how we're going to do elections going forward, a lot of Americans, tens of millions of Americans are not going to have confidence in the results.
2: John, Democrats unveiled uh, an immigration that would grant amnesty to millions of illegal immigrants, yet conditions worsen. In essence, is this a setup for a massive immigration crisis?
3: Absolutely. And we've been writing about that at the Federalist lately. Uh, we've been writing about it since before the election, when Democrats were kind of not just the Biden administration, but but Democrats overall were kind of putting out this message that they were going to undo Trump's immigration policies. They were going to uh, you know, grant citizenship to uh, DACA recipients. Uh, they were going to um, grant amnesty to illegal immigrants. All of that sends a message to to the sending communities in Central America and Mexico that if a Democrat wins, you'll be able to get in, and uh, it doesn't matter uh, actually what the what the policies are. What matters is what the message is, because uh, smugglers and smuggling networks that make money off uh, taking migrants from Central America and Mexico to the U.S. Mexico border will sell, uh, you know. A, this to potential customers, and you know they they, they make a lot of money—hundreds of millions, billions of dollars a year—changes hands uh, between migrants and smugglers and smuggling networks, and so. Uh, when biden signs these executive orders suspending deportations for example with ice or uh, introduces democrats introduce this bill granting amnesty what the smugglers do is they 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 take that little kernel of information and they go and say hey the democrats are going to grant amnesty if you can get into the united states you can stay hey the democrats have suspended deportations if you get in no one will deport you and they they Drum up business. It, it's an it's a black market industry, and and I don't think Americans realize how big the industry is and, and how much money is being cha- is being made off of uh, off of this you know basically tra- trafficking in migrants. But but that's what's happening. The, the the increase has already started at the border, and we're going to see that uh, spike as we go into the spring, which is traditionally the time when when you see a lot more illegal uh, border crossings.
1: You know, and I've been watching Texas for years. And for years, Nancy Pelosi has been saying that they're going to turn into a blue state. Okay, Again, that was wishful thinking for a long time. But now the last few elections, things get tighter and tighter and tighter. And to me, it's obvious what the Democrats are doing. They want immigration from Mexico into Texas. You get another million of them, and you will indeed turn Texas into a blue state. And once that happens, you will never see a Republican in the White House again.
3: Yeah, I think that's that's part of it. Uh, and, and, and that is, I think, a long term democratic strategy, not just in Texas, but I think, you know, all over the country. Um, but the other part of it that I should say, because I'm in Texas is, um, you know, Republicans have not done a good job. Uh, over the past decade or so, um, recruiting and retaining voters in the urban cores in our large cities. And they haven't done a good job of reaching out to Hispanic communities in Texas, many of which are sort of culturally quite conservative and would be a natural fit for the Republican Party. Uh, But they, they, they haven't done a good job of reaching out and getting those voters and kind of making the case to those voters that uh, they should be Republicans, and and that the Republican Party is is the best choice for for a prosperous Texas. So so you have um, these these incredibly fast growing cities in Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and Austin, um, where people are are moving in from other parts of the country. A lot of them Democrats, a lot of them with with much more progressive views on things. Uh, and then you have a large and growing Hispanic population that is sort of, you know, traditionally has voted democrat but it, but is but is actually much more conservative than a lot of the the sort of white progressives that are moving to the cities um and, and i think if republicans can't can't really get it together and they can't make an effective outreach to these voters then texas will turn blue and and then it, just as you say uh republicans won't be able to win any national elections without texas
1: so what you're saying is we need a republican Stacey abrams in texas <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Bilan, I had some more questions. If you, uh, ha, I didn't want to dominate. Did you have anything more you want to ask, John? Uh,
2: yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, John, um, Alexandria Cortez accused Senator Ted Cruz of almost having her murdered. We know that's not true. You discussed that in a recent article. What's that all about? And what is it with the left imputing guilt and wrongdoing to their opponents?
3: This is a horrible smear from AOC. I I mean, she, I can't believe people take her seriously. You know, you can't just say things like that. She tweeted out to Ted Cruz, who, who was Ted Cruz had sort of reached out on Twitter to say that he agreed with something she'd said. Right. Uh, I, I believe it was about, um, um, uh, you know, working together on a bipartisan you know, basis on, 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 on the, an issue. And uh, and she was like, hey, you, you know, you need to s- stay out of this because you almost had me murdered. Uh, and she was referring, of course, to the fact that Ted Cruz lodged a formal objection to the uh, Electoral College vote on January 6, along with a handful of other senators and um, Republican congressmen, just as Democrats uh, did in the you know every election going back to 2000. Um, so, in AOC's mind, uh, because anyone who thinks that there was maybe a problem with uh, fraud or uh, irregularities in the 2020 election, anyone who thinks that and like, you know, says something about it and says, hey, maybe we should investigate. Um, maybe we should have a commission to make sure that, you know, uh, states don't state supreme courts can't just like override the legislature and, and impose new election laws on the eve of an election. If you say that, she, she's going to, to, to say that you are the same as the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th uh, that, that, uh, that you are guilty of doing the same thing. And this sort of imputing guilt to anyone who disagrees with you is incredibly toxic and it's becoming sort of normal uh, among a certain segment of left-wing Democrats. Um, this kind of rhetoric, we see it more and more cropping up that like, if you, if you disagree with me, you're evil, or, you know, if you, if you disagree with this policy, then you're a bigot or a Nazi or a racist. Um, it, that is that that makes it impossible to have a republic where where we're supposed to compromise. We're supposed to be able to live together. We're supposed to have self-government, which which sort of in- includes a, a give and take. If, if if everything that your opponents disagree with you on makes them evil, uh, then why would you ever compromise with them? It, it's deeply anti-democratic. It's deeply anti-American. Uh, and uh, and it's really troubling how common
1: it's become. John, you just asked. You can't believe that anyone takes her seriously. So um, I'll point out, you look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, Yes, Republicans were, they didn't want to strip her of her her committeeships because they don't want to be seen as capitulating to Nancy Pelosi. But no one really elevated her either. Contrast that with Steny Hoyer, who held a big poster of the squad and said, you may disagree with them, but they're good people. So you contrast how we treat people who are fringe, kind of scarish, don't re- don't represent the party, and look at how you look at Nancy Pelosi, James Clyburn, and Steny Hoyer have elevated, normalized, and legitimized the squad. And the squad are radicals. They are extremists. They are anti-America. They are subversive. They are anti-Semitic. And and my God, and the only time anti-Semitism seems to ring a bell with a Democrat is when they can point to a neo-Nazi. If they can show one guy at, at, at the rally um, in Congress, we had 100,000 Trump supporters and two or three guys with Nazi t-shirts, all of a sudden, that's what they focused on. Said, this is the Republican Party. Even though they're not, and even though Trump has denounced supremac- white supremacists 20, 30 times, even though it, and I always point out at every single one of his rallies, which were attended by thirty, forty thousand 40,000 people, media coverage always spoke about his support for Israel, as opposed to Democrats who talk about anti Semitism when they're speaking at a Jewish day school dinner. And yet, this is how the Democrats have been able to kind of box us in. And then you go back to the Liz Cheney's who are, they're, they're almost buying into the own slander made against her and her party.
3: Yeah. Anti-Semitism, for example, is, is far more prevalent uh, on the left than it is on the right. Uh, it, it is, it's, it's almost mainstream so that someone like, you know, the, the members of the squad or the uh, organizers and, and uh, leaders of the black lives matter organization can be all chummy with someone like Louis Farrakhan and the media just kind of shrugs and nobody cares. And it's, it, and it's Okay. Um, and then, and then you know, the media focuses on the one or two fringe examples of anti-Semitism on the right. You know, uh, anti-Semitism is is wrong whether it's on the left and the right. But you know, let's let's get real. It's far more prevalent and accepted on the left. Uh, and and you know, there's example after example of that. I, I think the um the thing with like Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, you're right. No one's elevated her. Uh, I think Republicans were hesitant to strip her of her committee assignments or and and sort of you know didn't want to expel her from congress because the people of her district elected her rightly or wrongly you know i i wouldn't have voted for her i, I don't think the people of you know north uh, west georgia should have voted for her but they did um and so uh, those people should have a voice in congress and it's marjorie taylor green uh i also don't think you know the people of uh, uh you know, New York should have elected AOC or the people of suburban Atlanta, uh, should, should have, uh, uh, elected some of the people that they've had, um, uh, some of the, so that, you know, like Cynthia McKinney, who's like a crazy lady, a conspiracy theorist and, and an anti-Semite. Um, you know, the, the, these crazy people get into Congress sometimes. And the thing to do is to, uh, ignore them and wait for them to get primaried, um, or, or, or lose in a general election, um, but, but I but I, I agree with you. I think the the uh, media will always focus on the fringe elements of the right and excuse the fringe elements on the left. And the irony is that Marjorie Taylor Greene does not represent sort of where the Republican Party is right now. She, she is a fringe element and and will remain so. But the Squad actually does represent the center of where uh, of gravity for the Democratic Party. They are in tr- the reason Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and James Clyburn. Kowtow to the squad is because the squad's actually in charge. You know, Nancy Pelosi didn't want to do the first impeachment of Trump, but she was forced into it uh, by the radical uh, elements in her own party that are, are really in control now. That, that's where the momentum is. Uh, and that's where the center of gravity is in the Democratic Party. It's, it's, it's way out to the left.
2: John, we have two more minutes left. Um, Just one last question. Uh, What do you think is the future for the United States? You stated in a recent article, quote unquote, the sound and fury of Trump's impeachment trial signifies something sinister for America. That sounds foreboding. Can you please elaborate for us? And uh, what can Americans do at this point? Uh,
3: Well, I'm not sure what they can do. I think that the republic is going through a profound crisis and um, we've got to rediscover the founding principles that enabled us to be able to compromise, to be able to uh, live together and, and, and solve big problems together without tearing each other apart. Um, the way that the left is proceeding to try to shut down a conservative uh, speech, to try to drive conservatives out of the public square, uh, it's not gonna work because there's too many conservatives just like conservatives couldn't do the same thing to the left. There's too many uh, progressives and and left-wingers out there. We have to go back to the basics. And I think federalism is going to become more important as we go forward as a country, that things can be different in different parts of the country. And that's okay. Life can be different in Texas than it is in California. Life can be different in New York than it is in Florida. That's how it should be. Um, And that's how it has to be if we want to save the republic. Right,
2: We're sadly out of time, John. Thank you for agreeing to be our guest today. We are most grateful for your time. Uh, thank you to our audience and uh, much appreciation to VinNews.com for The Definitive Wrap being their official podcast. Have a wonderful day and thank you. Thank you, thank you John. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.